0: I think for me, it's very important for us to, to understand that we need a, sometimes our perceptions to change. When your perception changes, it does change everything. I'll give you an example. Um, we're on a series right now because goes, what's important? It, these are the commandments when a, a scribe came up and said, Jesus, tell us what's the commandments? And he said, to love God, love one another, and love others. And these are the commandments to do this. Well, that's what's important, but the challenge is how do we do it? Sometimes we need a perspective change to it. Now, what I mean by perspective is this. I'm going to show you this wonderful picture. Now, this picture, if you're on this side, you might be able to see it a little better than you on this side because you're at a little bit of an angle. But if you look at this picture, you should be able to see a butterfly. It's a 3D dimensional picture that there's a butterfly. Now, you might have to actually disorient your focus. I can see if I can do it. I've done this. Yep, right there it is again. Because I've kind of done this so many times, I literally can see. It's a really cool little butterfly. It's really wild, actually. How many of you can see it? One person. So I thought. When I did this, my wife was like, I go, honey, can you see it? You guys will have a disadvantage. You literally have to go and you have to, you have to unfocus your eyes, and then you'll start seeing something weird. It, it's actually really hard. My wife was doing it. She literally like went cross-eyed. And then she was like, I'm getting a headache. I don't know. And I was laughing. I'm like, okay, no, no, okay so let's not stress out too much there is a butterfly there and you might be ripped if you're going I can't see that stupid butterfly well let's try this thing there's another picture this picture uh, an artist drew on the ground and people were like that is weird man what are you doing like they stared at it they were looking at it they are like what's going like that guy there on the side he was like oh what's this until suddenly somebody sat down at the, at the bench and took a photo and this is what they saw now that's a different picture right is it different? Can you go back really quick, Ben? Back the other way. That's the other way. Back, back. Yeah, there we go. I once was blind, but now I see. Perception just suddenly alters everything. And this is what I think that if I was really honest, that seeing things different, I propose to you, this is actually our greatest need. We need God to help us see and change our perspective. To see what God sees in people. Think of what I just said. What does God see in people? What's important, we're talking about loving out. We've been talking about how we love God, how we love one another, but we're going to shift to loving out and what God sees. In Psalm chapter 8, David asks a question. The psalmist David says, which is fundamental, and it's this It's a life-changing question. David, over 3,000 years ago, he was a shepherd boy, a poet, a psalmist, and a king asked this question. This is what it reads. We're going to read with it. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? Yet you've made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You've put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever pass along the paths of the sea. O Lord, O Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. It's interesting. It gets to this crescendo of praising God when he asked a question because David is asking this this is this is what he's asking God when I look at creation why do you care in particular why do you care about man David is asking a question he's saying why why are what's so valuable about me what's so valuable about us and it's a very profound question I think if you actually thought about it, it could change our perception and our thought process if we think about it. It could alter a lot of things. What is our value? You see, David is wondering because God actually sees everything. He knows our thoughts. In fact, he is omniscient. He knows all of your motives. He knows the things of your heart. Nothing is hidden from God. So God knows, and he sees, he sees every bit of us. And I can often think, people say, I'm a pretty good person. But if God was to reveal actually our inner thoughts and our heart posture, now what? And you know what? If he started to do that, I would, I would venture to say that we as human beings are actually pretty selfish. We're, when you look at our core, there's something that's actually a little bit broken. I, I can say this because I was reading this article that absolutely stunned me. I was, I was kind of flabbergasted as I was watching or reading through the news and this, you know, on and, you know, Google, they have these little things that come up as advertisements, and this one article shocked me. It said this, in 2018, did you know, so this is only two years ago, the reality that 26 of the richest people on earth have the same net worth as the poorest half of the world's population. Let me explain by that. What it said is, 26 people have the same amount of money or the net worth of 3.8 billion people. Think about what I just said. Why is that? Why could in, our co- in, in humanity 26 people own that much wealth? It's because we in our human nature we actually are pretty greedy. And we want power. We're selfish. The other stat that threw me for a loop was this. They said, did you know that it actually, if they did a study, they said if we wanted to provide clean water, uh, food, and just basic medicine for the entire world, we actually know how much it would cost to do that. It would cost us $20 billion to do that for the year, to provide everyone with clean water, food, and some medicinal pro- things. That's it. $20 million. But this is the staggering part. That the cost that that is, is the same amount of money we spend on ice cream in North America. Whoa! Like, when I read that, I'm like, God, what do you see in us as people? I don't get it. What, what, What do you see that's valuable? Because I think when I ask those questions, what is man that you're mindful of him? The son of man. I think we're pretty messed up. <laughs> Paul in Romans chapter 7, he says, he actually, a man who tried to live for God, and he was like a, a law. he, he, he loved the, the word of God and he was trying to obey it. But it, it, he talks about how this in Romans 7, he says, I have this problem, I have a moral conscience and it's telling me this is what I should do. And then he says, but I know what I should do but I don't do it in fact there's this other thing inside me this is the Apostle Paul I have another thing that's saying what I shouldn't do this is what I do and that's what I want to do Paul confesses to having this problem even in himself of a moral conflict I know what I should do but I don't do it what I shouldn't do I do has anyone have that problem dishes man I know they're, they're brutal they're just staring at me. I know I should do them, but something inside says, No, my wife will do them. No, I'm not joking. That's not 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 at all. Not at all. Not at all. <laughs> and a couple of wives looked at husbands right there. That was beautiful. There. No, in Romans chapter three it says this for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In Isaiah he says, There is no one that is righteous, not one. So when I ask that question, why, God, what are you mindful? Why is there something that, what do you see? God must see something that's worth dying for. But do I see it? Ah, that's the question. This is when I started to go, Lord, can you actually shift my perception? Can you change something so that I see what you see? because I think it would change me. What do you see in people, God? Well, this we're going to do this. If you can open your Bibles to Romans chapter 5, I'm going to unpack some scriptures that have really to me are the, will absolutely change my perspective or hopefully help me to change my perspective maybe hopefully change yours. Romans chapter 5, we're going to read from verse 1, and the scripture verses are up there, so if you want to follow along, uh, feel free, but I encourage you to read through with your device. So, Chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we also have ob- obtained access by faith into his grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For no one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would would dare even to die, More than that, we, are re- we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we've now received reconciliation. What does God see? Well, these passages we read, and like, oh, those are deep thoughts. Oh, they are deep. They are crazy deep. Because when you start to say, what is God seeing in mankind, it absolutely floors me what he says out of these verses. What does God see? God can do something that none of us can do. God does something that is absolutely profound. He sees into darkness and creates light. He has the ability to see something that is not even existent and making it happen. And he does that with you and I. And it starts by this. What does God see? He sees those justified and in peace with him. Just think about that. He sees people justified and in peace with him. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that Jesus saw you saved before you were saved? That's what I'm getting at. God saw you were to be his child before you were even his child. In fact, before you were even born, because it says since the foundations of the world, Christ was crucified. God saw that you went you were meant to be his child he saw it before you could even imagine it well what does it mean to be justified if God can see Eric as justified I don't pick on Eric Eric you are justified. he he picks on Aaron Aaron you are justified what does that mean what does it mean to be justified well it means to be in right standing or being justified. Justified is actually a legal term. It means it gives you the right or the qualification. You have the right to do this. Now, this is where it gets interesting. Jesus comes to Peter, James, and John, and he makes them his disciples. Now, why is this a challenge? I'll explain something to you with which is we just think oh yeah he chose them. well or he did this well no where was Peter James and John qualified to be his disciples were they righteous enough to be his disciples now if you read the same Bible that I am I'm thinking why on earth do you pick these guys they are absolutely doofuses they are they are three fries short of a happy meal Like, they are not the A team. They are really the X, Y, maybe Z team. Like, they're not... I mean, literally, Peter has probably got foot and mouth disease. He puts his foot in his mouth constantly. Why would you pick guys that have the name Sons of Thunder? Do they have bad gas? Like, what's the problem with them? Sons of Thunder. Like, do they just yell all the time? Like, yeah, that's why I got them on my team. They just yell at everybody. I mean, their disciples were this. They saw a couple people preaching or sharing Jesus. And they came up to Jesus and said, Jesus, we saw these guys preaching to the Samaritans. Can we call fire on them? You know, just God to come and kill them and destroy them. Yeah, that's my team. That's what I want. I want to bring those guys on, yeah. In fact, they're so unqualified because what we find in the the scriptures is this. They all left him when he was at his greatest time of need. When he asked them to pray for even an hour they couldn't keep awake. Peter would deny him 3 times. Why do you, why what do you see in these men? They are not qualified. They are not justified. Yet Jesus sees something. He sees them justified. What qualifies these guys to be there? What makes it so they can? It's interesting in this. Jesus, the one who justifies them, says this in John 15, verse 16 You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide should abide, it should last. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give it to you. What makes them qualified? Jesus chose them. That's all. What justification that they should be allowed to be disciples because he chose them. Think about that. Now, I want you to get into it. God is a God of justice. He knew that the price that would be paid, would have to pay for them to actually be in relationship, they had no clue. Jesus hasn't gone to the cross yet. That revelation will come out and they haven't received the baptism of the Holy Spirit, yet God sees them before this. Jesus sees and knows. He calls them. But I'm going to show you a revelation. Though God is just and he is good, he is not fair. God is not fair. If you like fairness, you will not like my hanging around with Jesus very often. Because if we got fairness, then we should get what we deserve. Jesus did not deserve what he got, but he took the punishment so that we could be justified and right. So when I often think, God, it's not fair what you're doing with this, I'm going, God doesn't care about fairness, he cares about justification. He actually sees people and says, I know they're not worthy, it's not fair, but I am going to still justify. Think about that when you're looking at people. They deserve that. Yeah, if God's fair, but he's not. We don't get what we deserve. Period. Because he sees justification. Can we see justification? That's the challenge. God, can you change my eyes to see people who are justified? What do you see in a human being that says they are deserving of this? What justification do you have? What, why do you choose them? Why? You have a choice, and God, you're choosing them. Like, can I tell, God, show me why you choose them. And Paul says this in verse 2, though in through him we have obtained access by faith into his grace. And that is what we step into, grace. Now, how do I best describe justification? Somebody go like, okay, can you give me an example? Because I really want to tie this in, like, give me some idea. I'll give you an example, it'll be like this. There's a man who, who shared this story. He, he actually bought a Rolls-Royce. Now, a Rolls-Royce is a very nice car. And he bought this car in England, and he thought, I'm going to go on a road trip, but I need to take this car over to Europe. So he ferried it over, he drove it over to the, to in Europe, and he was driving along, having a great old time, and all of a sudden, and, and, and like a Rolls-Royce does not break down. But he was like, and you, and the thing is, you can't fix these things. They, no one knows, like, you have to have the right mechanics. You can't just go take it to the shop. So he phones Rolls-Royce, and he's like, uh, you guys, I, I hate to see, but... Uh, I, your, the car broke down, I, I, I don't know what he, no sir, no problem, we're going to send a mechanic to you, we'll fly him to you right now, okay, and, and so he, and sir, you just find a hotel, we'll pay for your hotel, we're going to pay for the, da, 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 and he's like, oh, okay, so sure enough, he was there for a couple days, the car is put, he's fixed up, and it's off, he's going again, and he, he's having a great time, and now he gets back home, he ferries back home, and he's thinking, okay, well, that was cool, he gets there, and he says, well, um, I better phone these guys. I wonder what the bill is going to be like for this thing. What's, what's going to be the cost? Because, man, I, didn't, I know Rolls-Royce are expensive, but I did, how am I going to pay for this thing? And he letter to the Rolls-Royce. Hey, guys, I, you know, I apologize. The car broke down. How much do I owe you? And he goes, sir, we have no record of your Rolls-Royce ever being broken down. Rolls-Royce do not break down. That's justification. Why would you do this? Not for you, but because I have a really good repair system that I, I see a value in you. As if there was no record, no wrong ever recorded in you. That's a challenge because how often do I keep records of wrong? How often am I the first one to say, you remember that, you remember this, you remember that? This is why I think God needs to change my perspective. As far as the East is from the West, that's how far He has removed our transgressions from us. How often are we replaying our sins and the failures that we have of, of to one another or about other people? We need a fresh revelation of justification. I'm not saying you don't, you know, there aren't consequences for sin. I'm not saying that you're, you know, supposed to jump back in if someone's abusing. I'm not saying that. But the ability to say, I hold no record of wrong, which is a fruit of the Spirit. There's no record. God, can you help me to see what you see? You don't see any record. Help me to understand your justification. What does also God see? He sees those who are weak made strong. Verse 6. For while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Wow. Have you ever been lost? Have you ever been lost? No man will admit to this, so don't worry about it, man. I, I know you won't put your hand up. Nope, nope, no, never been. No. no. I, I remember walking to the store just a couple just recently, and I saw this little boy who was in the shopping mall, and, or in the in superstore. He was in the aisle, and he was just bawling, weeping of tears, and I, I, my heart instantly broke for this one little guy because I knew, for example, he felt absolutely vul- vulnerable. He was feeling like he was like destitute, abandoned. I don't know. I, but my heart absolutely was torn out for this little guy. In fact, I think everybody around, I was amazed. on like, All you need is one kid to cry, and there's 20 women. Oh, are you okay? And I'm just going, yeah, he's all right. He's okay. Anyway, Ever lose something? And the power of what that looks like. Well, I know I lost actually something. We, I have three boys. And my oldest is very responsible. He's the oldest child. The, the middle one, well, he, he liked to... He was just daring and crazy. But the, the youngest was a challenge because what the youngest liked to do, Jordan, when we were young, he liked to play hide-and-seek. So one day we were, at the, uh, we were at doing some shopping and we were at the, in, looking at the clothing department and then all of a sudden... Jordan's gone. Instantly, the fear and anxiety in a parent because my kid's gone. Jordan, where Jordan? Where is he? Jordan, hey, do you know where Jordan? We were like, we we're running around this thing. We we're like, get him! We're we're freaking out. We we're like, it's like, oh god! And we we're like, somebody stole him. Somebody, should we call the police? Should we? Should we get him? We we're just going in absolute panic mode because we understood what was lost. And then we understand the anger when all of a sudden, here I am, and he's hiding. And mm, The Lord brought you in this world. I could take you out anyway. <laughs> the staggering truth is that the God who sees, he sees those who are lost, and he feels like a parent when our kids are lost. Think about that. In Genesis chapter 16, what is an interesting story is that God had promised Abraham a child. But you know what? Abraham actually isn't all of faith that we talk about. Sometimes he was a man too, and he struggled. And as as they were asked a promise, they suddenly were like, well, it's not coming, it's not coming. And suddenly Sarah says, you know what? We maybe need to help God. We need to help God, because we know it's a promise, so let's, let's help God out. And so, why don't you do this? Why don't you have my, my servant girl, and we'll have a child that way. And so, Abraham's like, yeah, that's a great idea. Came, Fine, that's a great idea. And this is not God's promise, but he still does. Trying to help God out, and the result is Ishmael. Her servant gets uh, pregnant, obviously, but then what happens is Sarah, she's the one that comes up, she actually turns angry towards her servant, in fact, abusive. And then what happens is Sarah, Hagar is so distraught, she says, fine, I gotta leave. She actually has to leave the situation. And she's out in the desert. Now think about it. After escaping a cruel and harsh punishment, Pregnant without any support from the father or the child, Hagar must have absolutely felt helpless and alone. She doesn't have a single earthly friend. She's just grown up as a slave. She's done nothing wrong, and she's now being punished for obeying. This is about how low life can get for some people. And Hagar is probably not thinking that the world isn't fair... But that God isn't fair, and that at the very least, he's blind or unseeing. But in the midst of this, this is what happens. It's a touching and moving, that God actually visits Hagar, and he says this. He, he gives a promise, he assures of her own protection and blessing, and this is what Hagar says of God. Elo el Roy, the God who sees. She has a new name for God. You're the God that sees. You saw me when I am absolutely done. It's a powerful picture that this is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. This is the God of the New Testament. This is our Father in heaven who sees all the stuff going on. And you know what What happened with Hagar? Just knowing that God saw her gave Hagar the strength to return to her abusive mistress. She says, God sees me. She surely said to herself, even when I'm not treated fair, I'm not alone, God essentially told Hagar that he's going to make things right. And that was enough. You know what? In those chapters, it says, the verses that we read in the midst of it says, Not only that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance. How can you have such hope in the middle of dumb things? If you know you're the God who sees. The one who sees the weak and says, I want to make you strong. I want to see that. I want to see that God sees the people that are hurting and says, I'm not just going to hear you. I'm going to see you and going to do something about it. That's the gospel, isn't it? While we were still weak, God died for the ungodly. Not while we had it all together. Not when we thought that we were superhuman. It was like we actually were like Hagar. But God sees you. God, can you help me to see those around us that are hurting and are weak? Think about that as we just... I see. I want to I have a new perception that who are the people that are weak and have abused but God wanting to make them strong. That those that have been abused by life or the devil or, or by people that God would say I, I, want, I want to reach them. I see them. You see, because I think it's absolutely too easy for us to ignore those who are weak but God doesn't. Scripture says he actually cares for the brokenhearted. I'll give you an example that just really hit home with me recently. How many of you know about the coronavirus? virus? Heard of it. it? I was looking at it, and it's all in the news, the coronavirus, the coronavirus, what's going on, and I was sitting there, and, and then suddenly God said, my heart is hurting for them. And I was like, what? yes. I was like, what do you mean, Lord? He goes, it's, it's just think about it. I see everything. We have no clue. I think it's easy for us to get really detached. Hey, that's this weird thing happening in China, but God sees what's happening in China. He sees that what's happening is that this one little virus has caused so much devastation. People are locked in their homes. He sees how their fear. He sees actually the anxiety. He sees that some of them are, are struggling to get food. He sees that all the... In fact, I was reading the one episode, the one article. It said this, that literally a son died. Because what happened was this son, his father, who uh, was the primary caregiver, his mom had died... He had shown signs of evidence of being uh, contacted, so they put him in isolation. Well, this boy who is a young teenager had cerebral palsy. He could not care for himself. He died. God sees that. And then God was just ripping me going, don't just say that's over in China. I see it. Do you see it? Now what do you do about it? Let's stop. Let's pray for China right now. Father, I just want to lift them up to you. Father, we're so blessed by bringing a guy named Andrew Joe and other people here. I don't want to just think that it's great we can bring our our Canadian friends home and we're worried about our own uh, worries about violence. May we not get contacted. No, I want to lift up these people. You see them. And we as Christians want to be aware and say, God, the best thing we can do is pray. Pray for a cure. Pray for, Lord, you, Lord, protecting them somehow supernaturally. Bring provision for our brothers and sisters. That, Lord, they would know that you see their weakness. And, Lord, you want to extend grace and love and healing. Lord, let me see what you see and not become... Uh, apathetic in Jesus name thank you for letting me pray the last thing is what does God see those lost coming to know his unconditional love but God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners Christ died for us and this passage is what's gonna rock well it rocked me God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. In Luke chapter 15, verse 1 to 17, it's a story about that it's in the Bible that what now it says, this now that tax collectors and sinners were all drawn near to him and the Pharisee and the scribes grumbled saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. And he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that lost, has lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays on its shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, re- saying to them, "'Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost.'" just so I told you there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance what that now I I actually realized Dave just preached about this excuse me Dave just preached about this a couple weeks ago about sheepy beepy remember sheepy beepy and God brought me back to it going, think about this parable, this story. This is what God feels about us. He sees something because he sees that we've been created. God created you and I and we have value. When you understand that people, we are created and they're not by chance, but with design and purpose. When you understand that something is... This God sees value. in. And what I find interesting is it's not that he didn't love the 99. He actually loves the 100. All the same. And he's rejoicing because he goes, I love all of them, and I want that one to be with the 99. This is a love that is absolutely unconditional. It's crazy. Really? I would think... 99 is good. It's called thinning the herd. I do that with my kids all the time. I'm thinking if I could just, you know, bring them a little couple now, and they'll take a few out, it's easier, right? I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm not. Andrew, Nathan, Jordan, I, I love you. I said that as a youth ministry all the time. I said, you know, we do these events, and they go, why do you do these events? You're gonna kill some kid. I said, just thinning the herd, just thinning the herd. It's all good. I'm joking. No, no, God doesn't think that way. He's thinking about the whole. He, In fact, the exact and intricate design for each of us individuals in this world, do you know what takes 3.1 billion bits of information in your DNA? Can you, just think of it, to make you takes 3.1 billion bits of information. And then it's what's crazy is each one is absolutely unique and individualistic. To think that we are created without purpose is like this. This would be the description, what you just gave there. Imagine if I took a stack of, dictionar- or a stack of dictionaries, exploded them, and then out came an encyclopedia. You'd be like, that's not possible. Or I'll give you another example. It would be like this. Imagine a tornado ripping through a garbage place, a garbage dump, and somehow all the parts come together to make a Boeing 57. You'd go, that's crazy thinking. No, it is crazy thinking. You'd say somebody have to design and put those pieces together. That's insane. Well, that's that's to me what I believe is God saying, I, I literally created you. But because I have design and purpose. That each person then is has an each has a worth. And it's a worth that's not given by state or government or by parents or by your achievements. Your value is because you have a reflective splendor created in the image of God. Now, let me explain this. Jesus gives us a revelation that I thought was absolutely profound of what he thinks about humans and mankind. A man came up to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, tell me what I should have. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar. And, and, he's, and Jesus says, okay, give me a coin. Give me his coin. So what he does, he takes the coin and he says, whose image do you see on this coin? And, and the man says, Caesar. And he says, give unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but give unto God what is God's. And we all go, oh, good story. Ah, you're missing something. The man did not ask a question that we should ask. What's God's then? What's God's? And guess what Jesus would have said? Look in the mirror. And whose image do you see? And you'll know, give unto God what is God's. And that puts incredible value on you. God breathed. breathed in. There is only one like you. Why, God, do you love us? Why do you care? <laughs> I don't know. But he created you. Breathed in you. And every single human being, this is a neat thing, is individualistic. See, we don't, get, we don't get lost in the sea of humanity. Because God sees each one like the stars. He can name them. He can count the hairs on her head. He can actually say, no, I have a plan and a purpose and identity and I have everything in that for you. That is why I died for you. What an incredible value that God has on people. But let me just throw this. God so loved me when I was still a sinner. You see, that part you don't want to lose because I could see God, you love me when I was pursuing you, but that's not the truth. It's actually, a sinner is a person that's actually trying to go away from God. God is still loving people when they're saying, I don't want you, is what he's saying. And it takes an incredible vision and purpose to understand, do I see people like that, the ones that are sinners and God still loves them and has a purpose and a destiny for them. I was uh, absolutely floored with this. We were at our Salt and Light Central Conference and Mark Hughes was preaching and I'm going to steal this because I got challenged by it. Mark was talking about loving sinners and having a burden for them and and, an increase, seeing what God sees. And I was like, okay, yeah. And then this is what he gave this illustration with. He said, there's a pastor right now named Uh, Craig Gross. Craig Gross is in LA and Craig Gross is the one who started the Triple X Church. The Triple X Church is actually a ministry to reach to those that are in pornography, stuck with that. But Craig really wants to reach to those that are in the porn industry. So he's reaching out to prostitutes and all that. He has a heart for them because he says, I know what God sees in you that no one else sees. Well, the interesting thing is, Craig, because he's doing this ministry, connected with a guy named um, uh, Ron, I think it's Ron Jeremy, his right name? Yeah, Ron Jeremy. And I, I love it because while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son. While we were enemies... This is what happened. Craig got to know this guy named Ron, and Ron was considered like the porn king, of, and he was in all these things. And what happened is they actually had debate. Ron and, and, and Craig would ha- sit down, and they would tell why uh, what he would be opposed against uh, pornography and, and the sex trade thing and all stuff. And then Ron would share his thoughts. But the interesting thing is through this, Jer- Ron, uh, Ron said this. He goes, you know what? I don't necessarily agree with this, with Craig, but I will tell you something. He lives what he preaches. He actually lives what he preaches because he says that God has unconditional love and he shows it all the time because that guy still loves me. And you can see that they're actually friends. That he converses with this guy as if he sees something that God sees that none of us could see while we were yet still sinners. Christ died. While we were enemies, we were reconciled. Lord, I'd, I want to ask that you would give us new eyes and ask the worship team to come on up. You guys have been amazing. You know, as the world gets darker, my prayer is that the love of God in this church just continues to grow, grow brighter. And I want to throw this one verse at you before, as we close, and it's from the message to change our perspective. God, can you open my eyes and help me to see things new? The message, I love it because it says something like this. It goes, so if you are serious about living this new resurrection life with Christ, act like it. Pursue the things over which Christ presides. Don't shuffle along, eyes to the ground, absorbed with the things right in front of you. Look at this. Look up and be alert to what is going around going on around Christ. That's where the action is. See things from his perspective. Your old life is dead. Your new life, which is your real life, even though invisible to spectators, is with Christ in God. He is your life. And when Christ, your real life, remember, shows up again on this earth, he'll show up to that real you, the glorious you.